welcome to the Women With Fire podcast. I am Michelle Gifford. I am Sarah Allred. God is calling women around the world to stand up and make a difference. We call this your quest. God needs you. Learn from other women who are navigating their own quests. And through this podcast, light that fire as you embark upon your own. Let's do this. Hey you, thanks for listening to the Women With Fire podcast. This is Sarah Allred, your host for today's interview. Just a little heads up, we had so much to learn from Michelle from Scenes of the Wild that we had to split this interview into two parts. Serious, it's that good, and we just couldn't whittle it down any further. So for the first time ever, one interview is going to be posted into two parts. Part two will be out exactly a week from today, next Tuesday. So enjoy week one and enjoy part two next week. Thanks for listening and enjoy, Michelle. You're going to love it. Hey, you, and welcome back to the Women With Fire podcast. It's a big day. It's a big day for me personally. This is Sarah Allred, your host for the Women With Fire podcast, and I've got a hero right across from me on the screen today, and I am so excited to share her courage, her awesomeness, her, yeah, we're fangirling. Um, this is Michelle Laneart, and I don't know if you know her. If you don't know her, you need to join the other thousands of listeners that have submitted questions for her who read her amazing, amazing blog. And she is sitting across from us today. And welcome, Michelle. I am so glad that you are here. Hi. I am just laughing because, you know, when you first reached out to me, my kids said, well, we think you're cool, but we didn't know anyone else did. Oh. It cracks me up that you think I'm so cool. It's kind of fun. I'm totally enjoying it. We need to surround ourselves with people that think we're cool. Oh, it's for a sure. great way yeah. to be, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, let me tell you a little bit about Michelle before I start asking her your questions that you submitted here. And the thing that is hysterical is this is so Michelle of her. I have followed her blog for years and years. And when I was preparing for this interview, I sent her a form to fill out and I said, okay, I'm going to introduce you. I want you to copy and paste your little about me, you know, introduce yourself block so that I can introduce you. And typically this is the space where people will say, you know, awards they've received, where they, where did they get their degree? Where, where have they, these big conferences that they've spoken on, all this kind of stuff. And I'm going to read you, you're going to hear my paper shuffle exactly what she wrote. And then I will introduce her according to some of the other cool stuff she's done as well. But here's what she said. I'm the kind of mom who drives through mud puddles, throws pumpkins off the roof, and lets the kids move the ping pong table into the kitchen for the summer. Despite, or probably because of, my immaturity, my five sons and one daughter are happy, thriving, funny people. I'll climb a mountain with you, jump into a freezing lake hand in hand, or just sit with you while you cry. I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ will heal the earth. The ultimate introduction, Michelle. <laughs> I stand behind those words 100%. So. I love it. And the great thing about this, to get this interview started, is 
I, as a follower of hers, can sit here and list the things that the world would consider to be accomplishments, okay? She was part of a team and an organization that helped this hate crime bill pass in the state of Utah that partnered with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You have an incredible project happening called Build Your Teenager. And if you go to buildyourteenager.com, you can check out that incredible project of teaching parents to parent incredible teenagers like she has done. You also have a blog called Ruby Girl for girls to share faith and experiences and uplift each other. Okay, the list is going on and on and on of these things that you have done and yet your introduction stands behind you as a mom and you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. How, how cool are you, basically? <laughs> I, I'm really enjoying this, you know. I don't think most people think I'm that cool. <laughs> people are asking, they're going to be like, Sarah, just be quiet. We just want to hear from her, which is exactly what's going to happen. Um, she's just wait, done wait, some... Sarah, yeah. I want to say this, though, okay? I have been binging on your podcast and your Instagram and your Facebook group and what you're doing. I mean, one of our favorite statements around here is that is straight fire. What you're doing is straight fire. You are putting such good stuff into the world. And I feel like as women in our church, we often feel worried about, can I step into the world and still remain faithful? And you are filling that need. Like you're helping us figure out how we can do both. And I'm amazed at what you do. I think it's incredible. Oh, I like this too. This is going to be great, people. <laughs> Let's just talk like this for the next hour. I love this. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your own thoughts about fulfilling our own purpose and mission and all that kind of stuff. We are all about that at The Women With Fire is helping women find that. We call it a quest. What quest can you be a part of? And it comes in so many shapes. And let me ask you a question here that I feel like we were asked over and over from our listeners, and it deals with your influence in the community and in the world, but also that intense focus on your family. So here's my question. You, you really have had tremendous influence on a broad scale. You've been involved in some incredible, but no doubt time-consuming projects that have brought light and goodness to the lives of others. Yet clearly your greatest influence is with your own remarkable children. And that's how you would refer to them. Remarkable, beautiful, wonderful, energetic, funny children. How have you managed to do so much good in the world without neglecting those amazing kids in your home? I love that question. First of all, when you call my kids remarkable, I'm just totally going to agree with you. I think as parents... Like sometimes people are like, oh, my kid's not that great. Or, oh, you should see him at home. If you tell me something good about my kid, I'll just be like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I think we should be that for our kids. We should see the best in them. And if anyone wants to say something good about them, we should agree. So I love that. And that's a little bit against the trend. So I really, really love that. It, well, we're all supposed to be like, oh, I'm not a good mom. Like you could, you could say you're a good business owner, but you're supposed to pretend you're not a good mom. You're a good mom. Come on, own it. So that's straight fire, my friend. That's straight fire. <laughs> straight fire. We'll just keep doing it. <laughs> no, I'll give you a little example. The other day, my 15-year-old daughter, she's in math and it's hard, right? And 
she's doing her homework and she sends a picture of a math problem to her older brother who's 22. And a few minutes later, he sends her a video of how to fit, of how to solve that problem. And yeah, that's remarkable. My 22 year old is just helping his little sister with math and they're miles away, but that's what he does. And yeah, that's, that makes me very proud of my children. Okay. Here are my answers, which aren't going to seem super original probably. First of all, my family always comes first, always. And they know that. And they will ask all kinds of ridiculous things of me and they know that I will do it. So, and I know that's kind of trite to say my family always comes first, but they do. I do juggle a lot of different things, probably not as many as you think. I don't think I'm as influential as you think I am. Just personal but, experience here, Michelle. I mean, just speaking from my own <laughs> view. Well, I would say a couple of things are, I do not get mad at my kids. I do not yell at them. I do not lose my temper. That is a skill that took me years to develop. I've written about it. I'll probably write about it more, but I do not lose my temper with them. And that is very important when you're juggling a lot. You know, one thing people say is like, oh, you notice that we tend to treat the people in our home the worst. We're nice to strangers and we're mean to people at home. I would say if anything, I have been guilty of the reverse. I am so nice to everyone at home. I am so careful about that. And, you know, sometimes at church, I might not be any fun to talk to. If I'm really drained, if I'm really drained, I scoot out the back door, but I am always nice at home. And I think that's really important. In fact, my kids will joke like, yeah, mom yelled at me the other day. She set down her cup kind of hard on the counter, you know? Oh, wow. And I think that's really important. I don't yell at them. I'm very patient. I don't mean that to sound like bragging. That was a pretty intense process for me to learn how to do that. Because I would say I actually about that. Yeah, I, I have an article in the Desert News about that. So it's old. But I feel like I have a fiery temper, and that was something I really worked on. I don't yell at my children. I don't get mad. But another really important thing is that they are allowed to criticize me. So wow. expound. Uh, Okay, I would, in fact, this is why I'm such a good mom. And I am a good mom. I, other things, I am not a very good businesswoman. I'm learning. I'm going to learn from you. <laughs> I'm a I'd really good mom. And it's because they have been allowed to criticize me. They can say, you're spending too much time with this. Or you ignored me on this. Or this was not okay. And I listen. And when they're wrong, I tell them. But I listen. So... I would say I've learned more from my children's criticism about parenting than anything else because wow. they're right, you know? So now I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you for a minute okay, because this is, you, you said, oh, this is going to sound nothing earth shattering. <laughs> okay. This is turning everything on its head. Aren't we in charge of the structure of the home and the discipline and, you know, at all costs, we've got to raise them to be great adults and change the world and all this stuff. And somehow you think it's possible with no yelling, no spanking, no anger, and with letting them dictate your parenting. Tell me. For sure. Yes. Yes. In fact, one of my pet peeves is when people talk about these kids have to respect us. No way. We have to earn that respect. We earn it. 
when we demand respect, we're not getting it. It's ridiculous. We have to earn it. And I am not a very picky parent. Like if they don't make their bed in the morning, who cares? Really, who cares? But because I don't nag them about things, they listen to my opinions. And I, I might have a lot of opinions on things. So, so my kids use the bed, use the bed making example as an opinion thing. Like what does that look like in your house? Uh, well, my daughter would never leave without making her bed, right? And my son who is on a mission, messiest person you've ever met. And you know what? Also the most incredibly talented, cool, sweet, kind, generous person you've ever met. So, and as is my daughter, but I didn't want to focus on, if I'm focusing on, you haven't made your bed every day, how negative is that, right? Especially for a kid who, that's probably never going to be important to him. If I'm focusing on the negative, then I'm losing that chance to connect and I'm losing my power. I'm, if I'm focusing on things like pick up your socks and make your bed and put your backpack away, they're not going to listen when I talk about really important things like be kind to other people and be sure to pray every day. And those scriptures are your guide for life. We have to save our nagging for what counts, right? Ooh, ooh. This is crazy because I'm like, I've read your blog and I'm still learning here. I'm still having these epiphanies. You'd think that I would know all of your thoughts by now. But this is fascinating to me because one thing, um, by the way, listeners, if you have not read her blog at um, scenesfromthewild.net, we are going to list like here are our top 10 favorite posts that you should get started with. Um, oh, and I did, not get, I did not get permission from Michelle. I just, we compiled a list. So you can get started with her this way. But in one of these posts, you mentioned that you take certain things seriously and you don't take other things seriously. And tell me if I quote you incorrectly, because I don't have it printed in front of me. You said you, that you take the prophet's words seriously, but you don't take yourselves seriously. Is that the yes, culture of your home? Am I close? No, that's cool. I'm like, that, that sounded good. But that <laughs> is so true. We do not take ourselves seriously around here but we take the words of the prophet very seriously. So and you save your words in your space as far as getting serious and down to who you're going to become. You connect that straight with the gospel of Jesus Christ and you let some of the other things go. For sure. And I will say, in case anyone's really worried, my adult children are actually very tidy and they're always surprised when they go to college to find that they're very good at cleaning up after themselves. But it, it's just not worth nagging about on a daily basis. It's just not. So here's the big question that our listeners are thinking, because I'm thinking it too, and I'm a listener. So I think that the reason we get tied up in making the bed and in the socks on the floor, I'm going to use your two examples, is because we desperately want to teach our children to work, Right. That's such an important quality and your kids know how to work. You have got a daughter who is a big wig clerk. I'm trying to think exactly what she is. So it's my daughter-in-law and she is the press secretary to Governor Herbert and she is incredible. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you, you clearly value hardworking 
people. So if we're not asking them to make their beds and we're not nagging about the socks on the floor, how have you raised children that know how to work and go after it and make little videos to help their siblings with math? I'm dying over that story. Like, how do you create those kinds of kids? That's really cute. Okay. I should add next to my daughter-in-law since I would totally claim her, but my son who's married to her. So he is an incredibly hard worker. And he's in law school. He's in MBA school. He works as a law clerk. He works as a photographer. And he does the dishes every night. So um, how have I raised them to learn how to work? Sorry, so I was going back, but now I'm going forward. You know, work has never been like something we negotiate. It's just what you do. So I don't believe in allowance for kids. And I think that's pretty common these days. Like a lot of people don't. It's you do these things because you're part of this family, right? And so I'll tell you one of my best tricks. This is kind of for younger kids. So our dishes system, I hope this is a good example. Our system for doing the dishes was one person washes, one person loads the dishwasher, one person unloads, and someone else is setting the table and clearing the table, right? So as you can see, those things work together. If somebody is slacking, then they're hurting other people. And that is how work is in the real world. When we are not doing our part, we're hurting other people. And that has really helped my kids see of like, I need to, and none of those jobs are very hard, but when they each do their part, it all happens pretty easily, pretty quickly. And say you give the job, the whole job to one person each night, it doesn't work as well. So when you split up those jobs so people are dependent upon each other, it helps them see how important it is. I don't know that. So you, you parent, I mean, go figure, based upon principle. I mean. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Instead of just saying, I want my kid to be a hard worker, you can be a hard worker and you can also be dishonest and you can also trample other people. You can also be super rude. You can also be only money driven. You can, you can do many things and, and in the name of hard work, so to speak, but you're trying to teach that work is dependent upon you doing your job. Everything runs better. It impacts other people. You are basing your parenting off principles. Oh, for sure. Every one of my kids will tell you that. In fact, it's funny because sometimes people will hear about, uh, so, you know, I have three boys with perfect ACT scores, right? Yes. And the, the, the next one is almost there actually. <laughs> so, but No pressure, no pressure, right? <laughs> no pressure. I know you feel so bad for these kids sometimes like, anyway, but people will think you must run an incredibly strict household and my kids will be like, oh, we have no rules at all. And (laughs) seriously, they'll all tell you that. Oh, we have no rules. And it's kind of funny because we don't have any rules. It's completely principle driven. I'm having trouble thinking of any specific rule that we have, which sounds a little crazy, right? But it sounds just so backwards. Our listeners, their jaws are on the floor. Totally works though. Oh, and I remember reading in a post recently while preparing that, you know, that you, you don't have a lot of rules, but that stuff that we do is everybody showers, everybody finds a way to exercise every day, everybody works hard, you know, some very basic principles that run run your house in such a smooth manner. Now, I, I don't want to ever paint that 
you haven't ever had a, a kid that said no to you or that didn't want to do something that you needed them to do, or I'm picturing a kid across the table not eating what you want them to eat, or maybe not. Oh, yeah, but here's Whatever. an example. Who yeah. cares if they don't want to eat what they want to eat? Like, honestly, who cares? They can live off of Frosted Flakes. They will be okay. They really will. And you believe that totally. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because when you're putting broccoli on the table, they're just going to eat it enough of the time that they'll be okay. They really will. So did like I, would, I would never look at someone's plate and care what they're eating. I just really wouldn't. I just don't care. So you, you would be okay with just pouring them whatever they wanted. It's not a big deal to you. Just whatever. No, they, they, they go and pour it themselves. How's that? Okay. <laughs> the work principle, <laughs> right? <laughs> This is just amazing. And it's such a breath of fresh air because. Oh, man, and it's a lot easier too. It's a lot easier. Let's just take a little break because we want to give you access to our most requested bonus episodes straight to your inbox. We have never shared these episodes before digitally. Michelle's famous talk, God is speaking to you. Do you hear him? And guess what? You also get Sarah's crucial talk called Satan is at the White. I'm just telling you, these are very good. <laughs> they are huge resources to give you a vision and confidence in making decisions with the Lord, which is what we're trying to do, right? Grab the bonus episodes now at thewomenwithfire.com slash bonus. Now back to the podcast. Well, and I want to give you some credit in a direction that I did ask your permission for before, because this is not bluntly, okay? This is Sarah on The Woman With Fire. I'm known a little bit for my bluntness that, that you did not grow up in a home like this. No, I didn't. And you have blogged very openly, particularly about your relationship with your own mother and the challenges that arose there. So will you give some background um, to our listeners regarding your mother, the circumstances you're growing up. And then let's talk a little bit about this transformation. Incredible. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I love that you asked permission because that is, it is sensitive and yet it is already out there. And I'm assuming that's one of the blog posts you'll probably link to. It is. Yep. It okay. is. So I grew up and my mother died. It's almost been almost 10 years ago. And maybe the best way to tell you is she, so 40 days before she died, she called me up and she told me that she had liver cancer. And I wasn't really surprised. Her health had not been great, but her words surprised me because she started to cry and she said, I want to apologize. As I've been waiting for this diagnosis, I've been thinking and I've been praying and I've been repenting. And I was really surprised by those words. And she said, I want to apologize for the way I've treated you your whole life. I, I haven't been nice to you. I acted like you weren't worthy of love. And I have no idea why I did that. And as you can imagine, those words 
and telling him to you today just knocked the breath right out of me. I remember sitting on my front porch kind of watching the sunset and just, I was completely surprised because our relationship had been okay for a few years at that point. And I actually didn't even realize that she saw that. And I think if any of her friends were listening to this podcast, they might be horrified that I was telling this. But here's, my mom wanted me to write about it. And she did not, we thought she'd have months after that diagnosis. She had 40 days. And she told me over and over, please tell the truth. So many people need to tell the truth. And I don't think I have ever said that on the blog. No. But she asked me to tell the truth. And we had this great conversation where she talked about how, and she was a convert to the church. And she talked about how among her friends, she always tried so hard to look perfect. And she felt like her friends were looking, trying really hard to look perfect. And how none of them were ever honest with each other about their struggles. And how they always felt so alone. And we're in this, I feel like our generation of mothering, I know I'm older than you, but we're, we're gonna say we're the same age, okay, right? We so are, yes. We so are, okay. I feel like our generation of mothers, we are way more honest about a lot of things. Like you and I will say, oh yeah, I've had this trouble and this trouble, right? But we're also way more shiny about a lot of things. So we, it's gotten both better and worse. We've become more honest and more dishonest. And I keep thinking about how she said, tell the truth. And here's the truth. My mom was not raised in a happy home at all. Her parents really felt like, it's all about discipline. You don't praise that child. And when my mom became a mother and she had three kids in a row. So right now, my brothers and I are 49, 50, 51, and 51. And then I have a young, cute younger sister. She had these kids so close together and she was pretty overwhelmed. And I think that she felt like that's how she had to parent was with lots of discipline and not a lot of let's see, very few compliments. How's that? But she, here's the amazing thing though. My relationship with my mom gets better all the time. To this day. To this day, for sure. And you know, they talk about that voice in your head being your mother. Have you heard that before? I've heard that. Okay. That that nagging voice in your head is the voice of your mother. And I used to feel so unworthy. Like on Mother's Day, people would talk about, oh, your mother's the person on the planet who loves you the most. And I'd be like, my own, my own mom doesn't like me. There must be something so essentially broken in me. And that has really healed. I feel her cheering me on all the time. But you did feel that. You felt that lack of connection of saying, my own mom. Oh, it was really hard. And I live in one of those wards. I mean, we all know that there are no perfect families, but I live in a ward full of pretty exceptional families where, you know, I always felt pretty out of it. And you know, the more I look at the world, I realize uh, I come from a much more common scenario. The people who come from like the really warm, loving family and they have grandparents and aunts and uncles, which I can't even imagine having those things. That's the exception. That is really the exception. If you look at the whole world, most of us come from brokenness. 
And in fact, let's be honest, we all come from brokenness. Oh, I love how inclusive you are in that statement to say, hey, this has been tough for me. And I know that there's something that's been tough for you. And so what would you, what would you say to those who are not yet healed that are, are where you were years and years and years ago when, I mean, I would imagine it would be somewhat hard to understand deity and, and parents, you know, that love you and accept you when you've grown up. Absolutely. What do when you say? Talk about like, you think of your father as God. Oh boy. We won't even get into my dad on this one. <laughs> oh, podcast part two. Oh my goodness. Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> when you're we ready. We need to edit oh, that out. Oh boy. <laughs> no, but when people talk about, think of your father as like, God, oh, that's hard stuff. I think we need to think of God in his own terms, through the scriptures, through prayer. I want to tell you something really profound. When I was trying to let go of all of this hurt, I talked to a friend whose son had committed suicide. And I think as a parent, it's hard to think of anything worse. And she told me, she said, I've really been struggling because when I pray, I keep asking God to change it. I want him to go back in time and make this not happen. And she says, I see how illogical that is. And she said, but until I can lay this pain, until I can accept this pain for myself, how can I lay it on the altar of God? And I realized that is what I had been doing. I mean, I just remember gasping. And I realized that that's what I'd been doing in my own life. I had all this pain. And in my prayers, I wasn't seeing this, but I kept thinking, God, couldn't you make this so it didn't happen? Can you just fix this so it never happened? Instead, I had to just take that pain. I had to accept that it had happened. And then I was able to hand it over to Christ. And you know what? Here's the miracle. He took it. And he'll take it for you. He'll take it for anyone who is listening. But we have to give him that pain. And we have to stop trying to wish it away or wish that it had never happened. Because it did. And it made, you know, it made me who I am. And that's pretty cool, right? It is really cool because many benefit for who you are and who you have become. And it really kind of triggers in my brain your, I, I didn't even have this written down, your blog post about the corn story. That's the anger one. Yes. Yeah. That's the anger one. And I, listeners, I hope that you caught something that she said moments ago where she, she has talked about, you know, the own home that the home that she grew up in and that she knows she has a fiery temper. And that's because you have experienced your fiery temper and made mistakes as a mother in your home. And so you need to go read the corn story. But I just wept reading that post because it is all about changing, that yes. it is possible to change. And that sounds so basic, people. I mean, we're members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We know change is possible and what the atonement covers. We know all those things. But there was something so raw about hearing you moments ago say, I do not yell at my children. I do not get mad at my children. You say it with confidence even though it is something that 
is was part of your past, but that you have worked on and gained a skill that you currently stand as someone who does not get angry at their kids and who does not yell at their kids. The power of change just rock, has rocked my world in a thousand ways. A oh, thousand ways. so true. So true. And I, I'm sure you're familiar with the ideas of the fixed mindset of like, this is how people come and the growth mindset. Tell us about and, it. Okay. So fixed mindset is, and now the gospel of Jesus Christ preaches the growth mindset all the way. Right. But sometimes in our culture, we do this fixed mindset. So fixed mindset would be, this is who you are. This is the set of traits you came with. This is how smart you are. This is how worthy you are. This is how pretty you are. You know, this is who you are. Now the growth mindset is all about, you can change, you can improve, you can get better. Now we know the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about that. We know it. I mean, you feel that in your heart. I know you do. But sometimes in our culture, we get caught up in, oh, she never yelled at her children. Oh, I have never heard her say a bad word about anybody. And we kind of think, well, (laughs) too late for me. (laughs) I'm I'm done. (laughs) Whereas it's not true. It's not true. Christ taught us all about changing and becoming better. We get to keep practicing these things. And, you know, one of the things... One of the things I really want to get better is not ever seeing a bad word about anybody. And I'm getting super good at that. I wouldn't say I'm 100% there yet. I, I caught myself gossiping last year, and I was so ashamed of it. It was actually to my daughter and one of her friends. And that was a huge aha moment for me. I was like, I'm not a person who gossips. And I did. And I would, you know, at one point, I'm going to be able to say to you, I am not a person who gossips. We will record it. We will record it. Um, (laughs) No, we all change. We can all get better and our kids can get better. And that is the most important thing to remember. They're not fixed. We get these ideas of, I mean, I love like personality typing and things like that, but we should never think that we are stuck in any kind of cycle that we don't want to be in because we can change. And that is what the gospel of Jesus Christ promises. And that is the best news ever, right? It is the best news ever. And it doesn't it make you just want to make a list of saying, even if it's a short one, just being able to say, I am someone who doesn't say mean things about other people. That's who I am. Like, and owning it. I am a good mom. Owning it. I am a mom that doesn't, I mean, I'm like wanting to make a list in the middle of this podcast. Make that and I'm really list. It's the best. <laughs> oh, it's just so inspiring because it is so true. It is so possible. And I love that you have chosen to take that experience with your mother and your father to say, I will become something from this. I yes. will become something and how it has deepened um, your relationship yes to the gospel just incredible so let me let me turn to this incredible quality you have regarding seeing the joy in your life you really seek for it and you share it and i i really people you've got to go read her blog because every time she references one of her kids it's just beautiful so and so and talented so and so she always has this incredible way to describe the people she loves because she treats them the best of anyone but you do have the word joy mounted above your mantle at home what is it like 
day-to-day living with joy? And what things have you done in life that have brought you the most lasting joy? Okay. You might know the story of that above our mantle. The first Christmas we lived in this house, which was 14 years ago, I found those three letters and put them up for Christmas, right? And after Christmas, we're taking down all the decor. And we went to take those down. And my husband said, leave that up. We need joy all the time. And we do. We need joy all the time. I'm going to start with something maybe a little unusual. So we were just talking about growth mindset, right? Yes. I think sometimes people, like the whole idea of finding joy all the time can find a little, feel a little bit overwhelming because, okay, we talk about that glass half full and half empty, right? And someone might feel like it's not as easy for them to see joy. Sure. And the first thing I would say is do not beat yourself up about that if you're that kind of person. We need to keep in mind that life is 50-50. And I mean, we know this from the gospel. We know the whole opposition of all things. And our brain has a negativity bias. Our brain likes to look for what's wrong. And there are good reasons for that. Because if you notice a mole that's growing wrong, right? You might have skin cancer, right? Yes. Don't beat yourself up when you notice those things. Those are often things that will clue us into dangers that we need to help. But then let's remember this. If you think of that glass half full, what does it take to tip it to a little more than half full? Just 1%. So all we need to do is look for 1% more joy. We don't need to go crazy. We don't need to, you know, we don't have to change who we are completely. Just 1% more. Or if, okay, I like this thought. If you think of like ice melting, okay? So 32 degrees, frozen, frozen, frozen. 33, melting. Wow. We only need one more degree. So we don't need to change ourselves completely. We just need one more degree. We need to just look for a little more joy. And that comes in all kinds of ways. It comes from, and this is very typical, just noticing the good. Just noticing the good. My, I was with my daughter the other day and we were driving. We live really close to the mountains and there's never a day that we drive towards them that I don't say, oh, those are so beautiful. And she's like, do you know what's amazing about you? You think everything is amazing. And that is true. I, th- I think everything is amazing. And I love, it's spring right now and my garden is coming to life. We just need to take those moments to notice all the little things. And there's something different all the time. There's always the little things. Now, you're a photographer too, right? I am. Okay, now don't you think photography trains your brain to look for joy? Oh, absolutely. It trains your brain to look for beauty. And I'm gonna give a plug because I think you have an online photography course. And I would say every mom should spend at least an hour looking at that. At least some kind, it doesn't have to be yours, but every mom should spend an hour at least learning how to take better photos on her iPhone. Because when you take photos of your life, you're spent all the time. It doesn't mean you always have your camera up. In fact, people are always surprised. Like if I go to my kid's concert, I don't bring my camera. I don't need it but I'm always looking for something beautiful. And I do think photography trains you for that. And I'm sure you agree. 
I do agree. And I, I think it's important our readers know that one of the incredible parts of her blog is that she's a photographer. She's the real deal. And that, that you, Michelle, you, when you learn how to see light and when you learn how to see interaction and you learn, like you said, it is, it is in the funniest way, it is a skill to see God in everything. It really is. And so I agree with you. I think everyone, man, if you can take a class to learn to see the incredible things God has done with light, it will change your life. Yes. Yes. And we owe it to ourselves to develop that skill. We owe it to ourselves. There's a great book called Atomic Habits. Have you heard of this? I have not heard of this. Tell me. It's an awesome book. It's very short for members of the Church of Jesus Christ. A lot of it is going to feel pretty obvious, right? Because we're kind of good at good habits. It's like something we do. But he talks about how just small habits can change our lives. You don't need to worry about huge changes. And it's called atomic because it talks about how the smallest thing can make a big difference. And I, I really think that's powerful. Don't overhaul your life. Just make it 1% better. Just 1%. Start and then add another here. 1%. Yeah. Yeah. And that is so you. And I think that that is part of where where people get so amazed that you're so involved in such a variety of things. And that's because you're very in the moment and you are trying to grow and you are trying to get better and change and adapt. And I think sometimes we think, oh, if I can survive middle school, I've made it. You know, I've made it. (laughs) That was me at least. I'm like, get me through this. Oh my word. Kind of a thing. But yet here we sit at the same age, of course, that we can still continue to grow can still continue to be better, to get closer to the Savior, to be a better mom, to be, oh, all those things. Just the idea of growth is so um, powerful that it never ends. Life learner, right? Yes. Growth, learning all the time. All the time. And you give your kids that same grace, which is wonderful and creates a perspective. Hey, you, just a heads up. Just a reminder that this interview isn't over. I am sure you have loved everything Michelle has had to say in today's interview, but because she has so much more to share, you can look forward to listening to part two next week on Tuesday when it releases. So just a heads up, it's not over. Don't you worry. So tune in next Tuesday to hear part two of our interview with Michelle from Scenes from the Wild. Hey, Thanks for listening to the Women With Fire podcast. Your support means a lot to us. In fact, your support is what makes this podcast possible. If you want to connect more with the guests we've had on our podcast and connect more with Sarah and Michelle, the creators of the Women With Fire podcast, find us on Instagram at The Women With Fire or find us in our Facebook group, Simply search Women With Fire and join the group. We'll see you there.